Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Verity. I'm going to be reading the Bible for us tonight. We're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 17, uh, chapter 7, sorry, starting at verse 18. If you want to open it up on your Bibles. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people? whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Well, it's great to be here tonight. My name is James. Particular welcome if you're watching online. It might be your first time with us. So good to have you here. Friends, when was the last time you prayed like that? That we prayed like that? Not prayers on the run, not prayers in between what we're up to, but seated, settled prayer, where we have brought everything that we are, all that we do, all our responsibilities, the fullness of our identity, and we have simply sat before the Lord and prayed. Not just for ourselves, not just for our friends or our household or even for our church, but for the glory of the Lord to be revealed in the fulfilment of his promises. Two weeks ago, David danced with all his might, but tonight he is still, isn't he? Last week we found him settled in his sovereignty, a king in his palace in the city that he has conquered, the Lord having given him and Israel rest from their enemies round about. We saw David leaning out of his grand window in that new palace and looking down at the humble tent of the Lord and saying, Right, we're on. We're going to build a house for God. God said, no. No. God said, I'm going to build a house out of you. 
a line that will come from you that will be an enduring kingdom, a throne that won't fail. God was going to build something out of David. If you remember back to 1 Samuel, King Saul always had issues when God said no, didn't he? He would grumble, he'd try to negotiate, to slip and slide. How will David respond to God's correction? He walks from the palace to the tent. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. So you see, here's a leader with a Lord. Here's a king who knows his sovereign. Here is a man who has listened to God closely. A man of immense worldly power and authority who then responds as your servant. He says it again and again, doesn't he? A man who's listened and now has the courage to speak in response. And of all that he says in this prayer, there's a central verse, I think, something around which all else turns. It's there in verse 22. He says, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. There is no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. And tonight, I'm just going to draw out two ways in which God is utterly unique. Two reasons why we as individuals, as households perhaps, as a group of mates, as a youth group or a growth group, as a church, should be found more often seated in settled, searching prayer. Two things. One, he works from small to great. And secondly, he is the Lord of the future. So let's look at that first one. Having sat down before the Lord, David opens with a note of wonder and incredulity. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and who or what is my family that you've brought me this far? It's not a, it's not a struggle of identity. It's a wonder at who he is before the Lord and the place that his family is now going to play in God's bigger, better, built-to-last plan. And it's a good question, like, what, what is one so great doing with one so small? God himself reminded David, didn't he, earlier in chapter 7, he brought him from a little shepherd boy in the pasture to being king of God's people. And God promised, I will make you like the great men of the earth. And sure enough, here we are talking about David all these years later on the other side of the planet. God keeps his word. But really, what, what is one so great doing with one so small? Well, he's doing what he consistently does in Scripture. He works through the small, the marginalised, the childless and the forgotten to reveal his power and his character to a proud, lost, rebellious world. Think about Abraham and Sarah, barren and old. Jacob, the lone man on the run out in the desert. Joseph, the slave boy, sold to Egyptian slave traders. Moses, the baby in the little basket in the reeds in the Nile. Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. Ruth, the Moabite widow. Hannah, weeping with no child 
And David, the little boy with a sling. Again and again, in a world that has rejected God, pursued strength according to scale, wealth, beauty, earthly power. God works through the opposite to reveal the truth of what Hannah sang in 1 Samuel 2. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. Shattered by whom? By a massive army? By some empire just crushing them? No. Shattered by tiny little Israel. Did you notice there in verse 23, David's wonder moves from the personal, even the family, to the national. There is his wonder. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. Tiny little Israel. When God chose to reveal himself and attach his name to a nation, he could have chosen any superpower he wanted, couldn't he? At any time and any place. And yet, he chooses and creates little Israel, a slave people born of a barren couple, a notoriously stubborn bunch of people, whom he redeems out of their slavery and used to judge and humble Egypt, the superpower of the day. They were the America, they were the China of the day. And he used a tiny little nation to do it, and then kept going and made mockery of the false gods and the wicked nations in the land. Our God moves from small to great. And with each victory, each miraculous baby born, every giant slain, it is patently clear, isn't it, This is not how things normally work. This is not earthly power in play. Something else is happening here. Someone else is acting here. And it is the sovereign Lord making a name for himself, revealing himself as a saviour and judge through the small and the weak. And guys, isn't that precisely what we're about to celebrate in a few weeks' time at Christmas? In Isaiah 9, the prophet speaks of of a great light, one mighty, wonderful, everlasting, who will shatter the yoke, he will end war, and he will bring peace and justice. And you quite naturally, don't you, go looking for some epic figure out of one of the Marvel movies. Who's this guy? Isaiah 9, for to us... A child is born. A son is given. It's that note that I want to to hit on Blue Christmas, which will be the first of our Christmas services. It's out a little bit before our main services, December the 15th here on a Wednesday night. This is the note that I want us to begin our approach to Christmas. That in a dark, conflicted, weary world, the hope and light promised by God comes in one fragile in birth. 
and weak and crucified in death. For in that same Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we see one who is a formidable hope and the fulfilment of all that was promised to David back here in 2 Samuel 7. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. You see, it's because fragile Jesus sits on that formidable throne today, now, tonight. That's where he's seating. We can share in David's wonder. His incredulity can be ours. Like, like who am I? Who are you? Who are we as a group of people to call God Father, as we already have tonight? Who are we as a church to carry his name into this dark, troubled, weary world? Do you know that of ourselves we have no right to be anywhere near a holy God? Not even close. But because Jesus in his greatness has stepped to you and to me in our small state, our sinful state, and borne our sins in himself, because he's moved from that which is great to that which is humble in order to save, we can gather here tonight and say these truths from Ephesians 1. We are chosen. You are loved. I'm redeemed. We are forgiven. Adopted as sons who are heirs to everything. Filled with his spirit and fit for heaven right now. There's nothing impressive here in worldly terms. There's nothing impressive that you're looking at right now. Let's be honest. This is not an impressive body of people. And yet, what's going on tonight? Who's in play here? Tonight, now, the sovereign Lord is making a name for himself. And he's revealing his character. He's revealing his power in and through the small and weak who worship Christ here in St Ives and wherever you are watching this service right now. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. There's no God but you. As we've heard with our own ears. Father, you're not just Lord of the past and present. You are Lord of the future. So part two tonight. David's wonder and praise it's not just about what God's done and where he's brought him at that moment in history, but it's about what he reveals is to come. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough, in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. Nothing humbles us faster, does it, than the future. We are creatures of time and place. We can't accelerate out of this hour. We can't jump to next year. 
It's wise and prudent, isn't it, to make provision for the future. And as Nigel reminded us last week, we naturally hope and dream and plan, but we don't know how tonight will play out. We have no promises from God that we will arrive alive tomorrow morning. COVID has made a mockery, hasn't it, of our assumptions, and sure enough, we're hanging in the balance again. There might be times when maybe we... We, we sort of listen in to some financial gurus or the political writers who will tell us this is how it's going to play out. This is what will happen at the next election. But they don't know any more than we do. We don't know what's to come. And yet here in 2 Samuel 7, David is seated, settled, in prayer, talking to one who does know the future. Note here, he's not told what's going to happen the next day or the next year. He's not told what investments to make, who will win the next grand final, or in his case, who to marry next. God's not telling him those things. What he's putting before him is a much larger future, one in which he will fulfill his eternal purposes through David's line. These are large future categories. And he does it by sending his words out ahead of David in the form of a covenant. Lovely old-fashioned word, but it's a powerful word. It packs a lot of freight. A covenant is a formal set of promises. And in this case, it's a formal set of what God promises to do. Now, I'm in the process at the moment of getting two couples ready to get married in December. Uh, Jess and Hamish and Naomi and Matthew, in a few weeks, they're going to stand right here and make a formal public covenant before God, their family and friends. It's full on. On this week, separately on two nights, I just sat with them and we unpacked the vows, the promises that they are about to make. And they all admitted it's seeing their own name attached to these things is really intense. We felt the weight of those words, and so did I. I've been married for 23 years, and I felt the weight of them because these are large categories for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. They roll out ahead of them into the years they can't get to yet. It's right to feel the weight of those words, particularly when we don't know what's to come. We don't know the future because we're off time, we're off place. So I said to them, think of them like a house, a house or a home made of words. They are a house that you grow into, you move into. Each vow is like a room to be discovered. Some will be discovered sooner some will be discovered later. This is a home made of words that you occupy and live in and grow up in. Words that lay down lines of responsibility and blessing. Lines of hope and expectation. And all of it said and held together in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, it's a covenant entered into trusting in his strength, his wisdom, not our own. See, no couple knows the future, but God does. 
So when that God, our God, makes a covenant, when he sends words out ahead, he's doing so as one who knows what is to come. When he makes a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12, promising land, a nation of descendants like stars in the sky, and a blessing to all, He's creating a house or a framework in which Abraham, Sarah and their descendants are called to move into, live in and grow. A place where they are to walk by faith in God's word. God's not saying these things because he hopes it will happen. He's saying them because these things will be. The question is, will Abraham believe that and walk on in faith? And we know that he does. That's why he's the father of all who believe. When God meets with Moses up there on Mount Sinai in the wilderness, having fulfilled his word, created a nation, ripped them out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, Moses is standing up there with the nation that God promised round about him, but they're not yet in the land. God is simply extending that house of promise and calling on Moses and God's people to walk by faith according to the law that God has given. Will they do that, or will they fold into fear? We know, don't we, that too often they did not walk by faith, and yet God proved faithful. He kept going according to his promises. Abraham, Moses. So now we've got the covenant with David. By the time of 2 Samuel 7, the nation is in the land. And as he states this covenant with David, God extends the house further, promising a line out of David that will fulfill all of God's promises. And like Moses who had the nation, David the king in the land with the nation has concrete evidence that God does what he says. What he said would happen all those centuries ago, there it is. David's inside the reality that God promised beforehand. Little wonder he responds with faith and courage as he faces the future. God's never failed to fulfill his word. He's proven he's master of what's to come. What does David do? Verse 27, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you've promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. He's not goading God to act. He's so stoked at what God's promised. He's saying, do it. Fulfill. Go hard. And we who gather all these years later, we know that his faith and courage was rightly set on the Lord, wasn't it? There were grievous and glorious things to come for David. And his line, but, but sure to God's word, it finally, finally by God's time and in his place, produced one who was worthy to sit on the throne forever. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who establishes God's final covenant. 
described by Jesus himself. It's there at the Last Supper when he breaks the bread and he holds the cup. He says in Luke 22, In the same way after supper he took the cup, he gave thanks and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He's referring, of course, to his death, isn't he? His death on the cross for our sins, by which he he fulfilled all the covenant of old and created an entirely new house of promise for you and for me. See, when we say yes to Jesus as Saviour and Lord, when we accept what he has done on that cross for us, we enter into the new covenant. We are forgiven, we're redeemed, and we have the promise of a future with God. He's not going to tell us what will happen tomorrow or next year. He's not going to tell you what you got in your HSC now. He's not going to show us what job we're to get, who we're to marry, or what investments to make. No, he's given us the larger future, the big one. It's there in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Do you hear what's being said there? Next time someone says, where's all this headed? You say, that's the wrong question. The question is, to whom is it headed? And the answer is Jesus. Everything and everyone is headed for Christ under his authority. This day and every day is going to wash up at his feet under one Lord. And knowing this, when we know this, are we going to give in to fear? Or are we going to walk by faith, trusting in his word, knowing that God's with us right now, today, and his word has gone up ahead of us? Abraham, Moses and David, they weren't epic figures. They were men of their time and place. They had every temptation to give in to fear. Will we learn like them to walk by faith, not fear? To take God at his word? Will we, like David, learn to stop running around and sit still? Sit still in searching, profoundly honest prayer. Praying not just for ourselves, not just for our immediate needs, not even just for us as a church, but to take his promises that we've heard tonight and go, Lord, do it. Fulfill these promises. Bring glory to your name. O God, our Lord, how great you are. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. You work from small to great revealing your power through the weak and your glory in a fragile son now seated on his formidable throne. Father, you are the Lord of history 
And our future is in your mighty hands. Amen. Uh, well, we have some great questions that have come through. And oh, I just closed it. So here we go. <laughs> the first one I'm going to ask you, James, from the passage that we uh, heard from tonight. says, uh, this is from Liam. Why does David, in his prayer, urge God to keep his promise forever if he already knows he's faithful and will do so? And what should we learn from this example? I think, as I said there, like, he, David's got no doubts whatsoever that God will keep his promise. Uh, it's a way of affirming what God has promised and urging him on to do it. Um, I think a number have shared, even from last, uh, early in this year and other things, the, the idea of praying God's word back to him. It's a lovely way of making sure it, it shows that you've heard it and you're excited at it. Um, so yes, I don't think, it, he's not sort of trying to lever God into action. He's, trying to get behind, he's getting behind God and saying, go for it, do it. Um, I think that's, the, that's what we're seeing there. Um, it's a longing to see him fulfil it because he knows that God's glory is good for all um, and he knows, like, and he's full of wonder that his own family line, the house of David, is somehow wrapped up in this. So, so it is a prayer of wonder that, like, like seriously, like my family is going to be in it. And you've got to think, remember David's line comes through Rahab the prostitute through Ruth and Boaz, Ruth the Moabitess, um, and uh, he was the last of all the sons. Like, it's just an extraordinary thing for him to think God's dealing with us in this way. Yeah. So I hope that answers it. Yeah. I, my, my growth group wrestled with that a little bit as well. Um, he's, he's, he's excited by what God has promised, and he's, he's getting behind God and saying, do it. That's, I think that's the, the gist of that. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thanks. Mm. Uh, our next question comes from Hugh, who's asked, has God abandoned his promise to national Israel to establish them as his people forever? Having hardened their hearts, will he remain faithful to his promise? Um, so the, the nation of Israel as a, as a, as a theodicy, as a, as a place which was God's place, people in the land and that thing, um, that basically ended, I would argue, with Jesus. Jesus is the fulfilment of that entire thing at the very point at which the kingdom um, that becomes you know, wholesale. The, the, the word goes out to the Gentiles. Um, Israel, of course, continues to go on as a political entity for some time. And, of course, it's waxed back and forwards. And in our own time, or really in the last 100 years, uh, Israel has become reconstituted as an actual place. But God is no longer simply found in a particular nation on earth. He is now, his people is now a genuinely international people. Uh, they are found wherever his, his, yeah, his name is glorified and his spirit is found. Um, Romans, though, tells us that the Jewish people continue to have a place in God's plans. Um, that we who are Gentile, if you've, like me, you've come out of a Gentile background, uh, we have no grounds to be proud or arrogant about our own salvation. Um, that God uh, loves deeply the Jewish people. And you can see Paul in Romans saying, I'd, rather, I'd give up my own salvation if my people, the Jewish people, could know God um, the way that I do. So we've got to read uh, Romans carefully and we've got to think, okay, God's still got a plan in mind for, uh, for the Jewish people. Um, but I think that's something that I want to keep sort of working on and unpacking. But there is no, no plan that I can see 
that looks to God to restoring any geographic Israel in Scripture. In fact, we're moving, the trajectory is moving up and out into a much larger picture. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very brief answer to a very large question. Thanks for asking that, Hugh. Happy to keep wrestling through those particular issues. Yeah, yeah thanks for that. Um, I'm going to ask one more question that maybe you can give a few thoughts to now and then expand on in Sermon Extra this week. Um, God's eternal promise to end suffering for all time seems so far away. So how do we continue to anticipate these promises without growing weary? Do you have any initial thoughts Just for us now? State it again. That's the first bit. God's eternal promise to end suffering for all time seems so far away. So how do we continue to anticipate these promises without growing weary? Well, first of all, we take this, the promises seriously. It, it, this could be the last night. So we have no idea when God has purposed to bring the times to fulfilment and all things to be unified under one hand in Christ. So we're closer now to that day than David was, than the people in the New Testament were. Uh, we're much closer. When you're in the pain, however, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? It's hard to keep going when you are living with suffering, uh, when the pain is so uh, present. Uh, can I say a number of things? Hold to God's word, but hold to God's word embedded in God's people. Don't get isolated. Uh, there have been crucial times in my life when I have been so low, so broken, so frightened, in so much pain that I needed mates around me who knew Jesus, who could, by their very presence, by the way they lived, by the way they trusted, kept reminding me God is not cruel, God's not a liar, God is true, he can be trusted. Uh, some of those guys were hopeless in caring for me as a, as a guy in pain. They had no clue what to do, but they blessed me because they just kept praying. They kept opening God's word with me. They kept reminding me that God is real, which is when we're in suffering, it can often, God's reality can fade quite markedly. So Hold to the promises, but the promises embedded in the body. Don't get isolated. We at times will be so clumsy, we won't have a clue what to say to you. We won't know the right thing to do, but hold fast to the people of God because God will bring an end to all suffering. There'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. That's what he says in Revelation 20. Um, God's not a liar but he moves at his time and in his place and he's never, ever cruel. There'll be times when someone else will have to tell you that because you struggle to believe it. I was there, but here I am tonight. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's really helpful, um, the importance of our community as being a place to be encouraged so that we don't grow weary. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, thanks so much for answering those questions and we have heaps more that you'll see on the slider uh, that James will get to this week on the Facebook members page, so look out for that.